If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to meet me in Exodus chapter 13, verse 11. Exodus 13, verse 11. Uh, if you don't know where Exodus is, that's okay. Genesis is the first book. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. You find the big 13, and then you find the little 11, and you will meet me where I've asked you to meet me. We've been going through a mini-series on the gospel of generosity, uh, talking about biblical generosity in this renewed series. Today is our last sermon in the series. And so what I want to talk about this morning is how all of the two sermons that you heard prior to this kind of come together. So if you're new with us this morning or you're visiting, I, I want to say thank you for being here and we're glad that you're here. But I want you to understand that what you're going to hear today comes out of what we've already been learning for the last two weeks. So I'd highly recommend you to go and listen to our sermons online on our website, centerchurchbrenham.org, or on our podcast where we put them out there so you can hear how we understand biblical generosity through the lens of the gospel. In other words, uh, I don't want you to think today that all we want is your money. In fact, that's not what we want. Uh, we want you to know and, know and believe that Jesus wants your heart. And through that, we respond to his generosity in the gospel with generosity of our own, that this is a heart condition. So basically, if you weren't here, I kind of want to give you a quick update on what the three weeks kind of are leading up to. So I thought about this this week and I said, maybe I can, God, help me get an illustration for them to help them think through where we're headed or how all of these sermons kind of work together on this topic of biblical generosity. So I thought about it in terms of a car. Now, I want you to know that I am not mechanically inclined. Okay, I am thankful to God for mechanics who can work on cars. And it's not that I don't necessarily think I could do it. It's just I don't want to do it. It's not something that I'm passionate about. And uh, it's not something that I really want to learn more about. And so I'm thankful for God who has placed men and women who can actually fix cars. So uh, I understand that this may be a little faulty in its illustration because I'm not the most car kind of developing person in the world. Okay, But this might help you think of it because I know a little bit about cars because I drive one. That should be a joke. You could have actually laughed at that. It's because you drive a car doesn't mean you know about cars. But uh, this is the way that I thought about it. So, so sermon number one was about how the gospel informs generosity. So how we understand the gospel directly impacts how we understand what it means to be generous. And so in terms of the first sermon, the first sermon was kind of, the first sermon was kind of like the engine of the car. It gets us moving in the right direction. It's the, the sermon that drives everything else, that the gospel drives everything that we think and, and do about generosity. The second sermon was kind of like the frame of the car. And we talked about the heart. We talked about how the heart is the framing for how we give. That the heart is more, the heart that is a, a generous heart is a heart that truly values Jesus above every other possession on the earth. So we talked about that being the framework for our understanding of biblical generosity. And today what we're going to do is we're going to actually put wheels on the car. And we're going to, we're actually going to take those two messages and we're going to actually apply them to our lives. I was at our, our missional community gathering this week and I loved hearing how God was working in the lives of our people through these sermons. And they're asking the questions rightly like, okay, God, how do we put our yes on the table? How do we do what you've called us to do? How do we give the way that you have called us to give in light of the gospel and how you have received or you have cling to our heart through Jesus? So today, I'm going to kind of answer some of those how questions. How are we to give? And this is a really interesting topic. In my research this week, I have found, uh, I found a, a survey that was online 
uh, that they had taken about Christians. And if they found that 42% of Christians want to be generous. They're just asking, how do I do this? They understand that everything they have is a gift from God. And they're asking, how do I return and how do I give generously as a Christian in order to be obedient to God, but also to advance God's kingdom? And so if that's you this morning, I'm going to answer that question through you looking at the text within Exodus. Exodus 13, to be specific. Now, before I get you to Exodus 13 and before we put wheels on this car, I've got to kind of let you know where the people of Israel are in this story. In this historical narrative, probably not stories, not the, probably the best word, historical narrative. So what's going on in the lives of the Israelites as we begin to look at Moses' call to them towards generosity? So uh, if you're not uh, familiar with Moses, that's okay. Um, if you have grown up probably later in life than I have been, if you remember that movie, The Ten Commandments by Charlton Heston, remember that? I see some shaking in the head. Okay, that's, that's Moses. If you're younger or my age or younger and you're like, no idea who Charlton Heston is or this movie, The Ten Commandments. Well, DreamWorks came out, if you don't know if you remember it, with Val Kilmer's voice on the Prince of Egypt. Also talking a little bit about Moses. See what I did? I just completely got every generation right there in that moment. You're welcome. That's who Moses was. So Moses was an Israelite. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh. And he ran off and God brings him back to use him to deliver his people. And what is he delivering his people from? Well, the Israelites had found themselves in slavery. They were oppressed. They were in captivity by the Egyptians. The Egyptian leadership had forgotten what Joseph had done hundreds of years prior to this event. And what ended up happening is they were kind of worried. The, uh, the, the Egyptian leadership was worried because Israel was growing. They were getting big. I, I like to use this kind of analogy here. They kind of look like Center Church Brenham, right? Like children just multiplying out there in this room, right? Like all these rooms are packed right now with, with children. And, and the idea is that, uh, you know, in, in all reality, if the children ever realize that they outnumbered us, they could probably stage a coup, right? And that's kind of what, that's kind of what the Egyptians are thinking. Like, man, these Israelites are, they're growing. They're getting bigger. They're multiplying. And they could pay, possibly overthrow us as Egyptian leadership. And so what the Egyptian leadership, Pharaoh specifically did, is they began to oppress God's people. They began to put them into slavery and into bondage. And they did, they did evil things against the Israelites. And so God sends Moses to deliver his people. And he does this through a series of plagues. And in Exodus 12, we get to the tenth plague. And the tenth plague was this. The tenth and final plague, should I say, was this. God comes to Moses and he says, I'm going to send death. My tenth plague is going to be death on the land of Egypt. And how this is going to work out is I am going to come through in the evening and I'm going to kill every firstborn. Every firstborn child, every firstborn animal. And the only way, the only way that any firstborn can be saved is if you obey my command, if you have faith in what I said I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, you go take a lamb without blemish, you cook it, you eat it a certain way, but then I want you to take that blood from that lamb that you sacrifice. And I want you to take a, a hyssop, kind of like a paintbrush, and I want you to dip the paintbrush in the blood, and I want you to put blood all along your door's frame. So on the sides and on the top. And what's going to happen is when I send my tenth plague through the land of Egypt, 
When I come to that door of that house and I see that blood covering that house door, I'm going to pass over the house and everybody inside, all the firstborns inside will be safe. Now, the first time I heard that story, I remember it because I was in Brownwood, Texas when I heard that story. I ran up to my dad and I'm like, hey, dad. If God told you that he was going to kill me as your firstborn, and he told you the only way that you could save me was to put blood on the door, would you do it? My dad, without hesitation, was like, yes. I'm like, whoo, still in the family. He loves me. Because it really was a sign of love. Like, I'm trusting in God, I'm loving God, and I'm loving my family in a way that I'm going to honor and obey what God has commanded me to do. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what about everybody else? The people that didn't have blood on their doors, their firstborns died. So you might be asking, like, why is this the case? Well, let me let you in on the first understanding. If you miss Exodus 12, you miss Exodus 13 about generosity. And that is simply this. What God is showing us in the Exodus account is the good news of Jesus Christ. If you miss the gospel and all you hear is me talking about, this is what generosity looks like, this is how we give, then you have actually missed biblical generosity in giving. The reality it is that every single one of us deserves death. Every single one of us deserves to die. Every single one of us deserves God's judgment. Every single one of us deserves God's wrath. Every single one of us deserves to be separated from God. That's what we deserve. Because that's what's the problem with our sin. Our problem is a sin problem and we deserve death. Listen, if you think, you can't come in here and think that you don't deserve God's judgment, God's wrath and death. Because that is the consequence of sin. Sin is everything against who God is and what he stands for. But you have to hear this part. Do you understand the gospel then? If that's what we deserve. And think about what Jesus did for us. See, today we don't have to kill lambs and paint bloods on the door because the Lamb of God was slain for us. There was a new lamb that came on the scene. A lamb without blemish. When he comes on the scene, in fact, John the Baptist looked at him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That he is the Lamb of God and he came to live the life that we couldn't live and die the death We deserve to die. In other words, he spilt his blood for our sin. God says, if you trust in the work that I have, my son has done for you, if you trust in what Jesus has done for you, I will pass over your sins because you're covered by his blood. Do you see the connection? That's the gospel. The gospel is very real and relevant even in Exodus 12. And it is the gospel. It is their understanding. When when Moses gets to them in verse 11, he says, It's because of what God has done for you. Now this is what you do for him. In other words, the Christian life is a life like this. The Christian life is saying to God, God, because you have saved me by your love and grace. These are the two questions I'm going to ask you. What do you want me to do and where do you want me to go? It's a life of surrender to the goodness and the grace of Jesus for what he has done in your life. So now we come to our text this morning. In light of what God has done in Exodus 12, now Moses is going to give them some ways in which they are to respond in gratitude to God's generosity. Read with me, if you will, from verses 11 through 16, and then we'll dive down into these a little bit further in the sermon. Moses tells them when the Lord, 
when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you. Twelve, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons shall you shall redeem. Verse 14, and when the time uh, and when in time to come your sons ask you, what does this mean? You shall say to him by a strong hand. The Lord brought us up out of Egypt from the house of slavery. What is he taking him back to? Verse 12, or Exodus 12, verse 15. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Verse 16, it shall be as a mark on your hands or frontless between your eyes. And if you write in your Bible, I would highly recommend that you underline this last phrase. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. I want to show you two aspects of generosity. And then I want to show you how God reframes generosity in the very middle of this. With the gospel once again. So again if you miss the gospel. You miss everything about biblical generosity. And so God wants to make sure that you really understand the gospel this morning. So that you can really understand what it means to be a Christian who holds to generosity. The first thing that we're going to see here. The first aspect of giving is this. We give our first to God. So if you're taking notes. That's the thing you need to write down. We give our first to God. Look what it says in verses uh, in verse 11 and part of verse 12. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites. Now, this is the promised land that God had promised Abram back in Genesis 13. He says, when the, when the Lord brings you into this land after he's just, he, he just got you out of Egypt. Now he's going to take you into the promised land as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you. So God is giving you the promised land. God is giving you, if you want to think of it in terms of the Christian world, God has given you eternal life in Jesus. The promised land in Jesus. And he says, now what you're going to do in response to the gospel is you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. What, what word did you see there? First. You're going to respond to God's grace in gratitude for his grace by giving him your first. Now, this is really interesting. If you're a farmer or a shepherd or some type of cattleman, ranchman, ranch, whatever, I don't even know what you call it. I'm just going to look at somebody. Is that right? Okay, he says rancher. Rancher. I don't call people out of sermons very often, but I saw a rancher in our midst. If you're a rancher, you don't know what's coming after the first born do you like when you when you have a a sheep so this is a culture that lived and built itself around shepherding sheep or or cattle or or it was a very agriculturally driven culture and so what god is saying he's saying when that when that animal opens its womb and the firstborn comes out you're going to take that first and you're going to give it to me now think about that for a moment because you don't know what's coming out next do you So what we're doing is we're saying, God's saying, like, the first thing you're going to do 
when this animal comes out, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to give it to me first. And then after that, whatever comes out next, I've given to you. So the idea is that we are to give our first to God. And then the second part of my truth is this. We are to trust God's provision for the rest. Let me say that again. We give our first to God and then we trust God's provision for the rest. The people here, they understood this. They were, they were putting their faith. And now we have to, let, let's, let's think of something really quickly here. You and I have to understand that whatever we have is not really ours. Like, let's just be real. Whatever God has given you, it's given to you from him. He still technically owns it. So think about that. Everything that you have, the car, the house, the money, the job, everything you have, God has given it to you by his grace. And really, he's given it to you because it's still his. And, and we call this, in the biblical language, we call this stewardship. God gives you what you have to steward it for him. So I think we've got to be very careful when we say, this is mine. Because is it really yours? Or is it really on loan from God to you? So we're stewards of what God has given us. And so God, they're saying, God, you've given us this land. You've given us these animals. And so out of this, we are going to give you our first, possibly we could say our best. And then from there, we're going to use whatever is left over. Whatever is left over, whatever comes out next, we are going to trust you to provide for us. And here's my question. If we don't trust God to provide for us, then how can we truly trust him with our lives? You see the connection? If we can't trust God completely with our salvation, then we can't trust Him with our finances either. I'm not saying that you live however you want. I think there is a reality to stewardship that means responsibility. But the reality is that we give our first and then we trust God for the rest. As I was studying, uh, J.D. JD Greer brought something out to me on, uh, on the idea of what the heart of a giver looks like. A heart that says, I give first and trust God's provision for the rest. And he takes us back to Cain and Abel. Now, let me remind you of Cain and Abel. So, uh, first off, Adam and Eve. Adam was the first person created. He was the first man created. And out of Adam, God created Eve. And he walked Eve to Adam and Adam looks and he's like, wow. That's not what he says. He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Thank you, Lord. Right? So this is where we see the first kind of, uh, the first marriage take place in scripture. And then they were called to be fruitful and multiply. And in their fruitful and multiplying, they had a son, older son named Cain and a younger son named Abel. And we see in Cain and Abel's story, we see Cain's jealousy and sin, which leads him to kill his brother Abel. But where does this kind of heart stir from? Remember, I told you last week that it's about a heart. Generosity is about a heart motive, not necessarily about what we do, although the heart leads us to what we do. So listen to this. I've never seen it before until J.D. pointed it out to me. He said this. God says, again, she bore and she gave, she had, uh, she bore, Eve bore and had Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Verse 3 of chapter 4 of, of Genesis. In the course of time, so that means in a period of time in the course of time it wasn't immediately it was kind of afterwards Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground here's what Cain is doing Cain is harvesting he gets done with the harvest and he goes okay now that I know what all I have um, because I see what God has provided me now I'm going to take that portion and I'm going to give it to God 
In other words, he's saying, God, I don't truly trust you fully, so I'm going to make sure I have a good harvest before I bring you my offering. But look at Abel. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, Exodus 13, and of their fat portion. So Abel, who's a shepherd, he says, okay, here's my first God. Here you go. I am giving you my first and I'm trusting in you what comes from the rest. Now, what does God do with the two offerings? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is what the Bible said. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. In other words, God was pleased with Abel's offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Why? Because one said, I trust you. The other said, I trust my harvest. You see how the gospel works? The gospel says, I trust you with everything, including my life. And therefore, I also trust you with what you have given me, which is also including my possessions. As Christians, we give our first to God, not our last. We give our first to God, not our leftovers. And when we give our first to God, we don't donate it. We give it. You know the difference between giving and donating? Right? So if I give you something, what does that mean? So if I give you a car, that's your car. But if I donate my car to you, what does that mean? I'm letting you borrow it. It's still mine. You see the difference? Right? So like I'm loaning my car. I'm not giving. I'm donating it to you so that I understand that it's still mine, that I get to do with it. Maybe that's not the right. Donate is probably not the right word. Maybe it's more like I'm letting you borrow it. I have an idea that I'm going to let you borrow it in order to get it back because it's still mine. And so what we're hearing here is we're saying, no, God says, give me your first. It's not a donation. It's already mine anyway. You fully give it to me. So the question that people often ask is, well, how much does that mean I give? When I say, when God says, give me the first fruits, then how do I give the first fruits? Well, the first fruits, uh, when you read through scripture, over and over again, we're introduced to this word called the tithe. And tithe, actually, in the original language, means tenth. So the idea here is that we are to give a tenth of what God gives to us back to Him. We give a tenth of what God gives us back to Him. Now, I want to talk about this for a minute because I think it, it, some people can use this as a means to be like a Pharisee, right? Remember, they tithed their dill and cumin and everything and gave all of it a tenth back. But I, but I want you to understand the gospel. The gospel does not create stagnant Christians. Let me say that again. The gospel does not create stagnant Christians. In other words, the gospel propels us beyond into and conforms us into the image of Jesus. So think of it this way. Um, could you imagine if, if somebody, if Jesus comes up and he says, okay, uh, what I want to do is I know that I said, I want you to, um, Die to yourself and live for me. So pick up your cross and follow me. And you say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to do that 10% of the time. So 90% of the time, I'm not going to pick up my cross and follow you. Only 10% of the time, I'm going to pick up my cross and follow you. Or if Jesus says, hey, you're not supposed to bear false witness. You're like, okay, well, God, I'm only going to not bear false witness 10% of the time. But the rest of the 90%, I'm going to bear as much false witness as I can. Is that the Christian life? No, the Christian life is actually a life of growing to become more like Jesus. And so here's what I, I would say. I would say that when we think about tithing, kind of like 10% is kind of the foundation. 
That's the, that's the bottom. That's where we are. And then as God continues to reveal the gospel to us, we become more generous, just like we become more like Jesus. In other words, one of my friends likes to say that the gospel is a swimming pool, not the diving board. Everybody likes to think that the gospel is like, okay, I just believe in the gospel and then I jump into the pool and I'm done. I got my salvation. But in fact, what God does through the gospel is as you continue to study and learn about him and the work that he's done and the love that he has for you and who he is, what that continues to do is he continues to reveal himself to you that the gospel keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That the gospel keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And when God begins to work in your heart that way, you respond differently to him. You respond by living more surrendered to him. You respond by giving your entire life to him. You respond by saying, God, I'm willing to go wherever you tell me to go. And I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do fully. All that I have is yours. So I say that as we grow in our generosity, we begin to, or as we grow in our understanding of the gospel, then we begin to grow in our understanding of generosity. So then we give our first and we trust God with the rest. Let me kind of give this to you practically, maybe. Now, I want, to understand, I want you to understand something. When I tell you a story about what Katie and I do for generosity, this is not the law. Everybody shake your hand. This is not the law. This is how God convicts people to be generous. Do you understand that? So you don't have to do what Katie and I do. But I'm asking the gospel to do its work in you so that God will do with you what he wants to do. Amen? Are you with me? You have to understand that. If you miss that, then you're going to think, oh, I have to do what Jeremy does. That's not what I said. So don't catch me afterwards. And if you have any problems, send emails to kyle at centerchurchbrenham.org. So one day, so Katie and I, we were, we, we were really wrestling through biblical generosity. And we were, in some, we were in a sermon series about biblical generosity. And what we had been doing is we had been giving uh, our 10% post-tax. After the taxes were taken out, we gave 10% of what was left. And we were listening to a sermon by, by J.D. I know I say his name a lot. Someday you are going to think J.D. pastors this church, not Jeremy and Kyle, but that's okay. Um, and so J.D. was talking about how him and Veronica give. And he was talking about how we, we, they give pre-tax. They do their 10% first pre-tax. And so I began to wonder why. Why do you do pretext? And he says, and he made this comment. And Katie and I just, we sat with it. It was like the, it was like the spirit just like pricked our hearts in that moment to go, oh, that makes sense. And J.D. said, I'm going to always give my first to God before I give it to the government. I was like, what? That makes sense. Why does it make sense? Well, because only God can truly save me. The government can't. You put all your faith in you want in humanity. It'll fail you every time. And so Katie and I, we went and we started to pray and think about that. Not that saying like this is the law, but we began to ask ourselves the heart question. Okay, God, in our giving, what does that say about our faith? What does that say about what you have truly done? What does that say about how we truly understand the gospel? You know, you know, God, Jesus didn't tithe his blood. Jesus paid it all. And so we began to think about that and we say, okay, that makes sense. So since that day, Katie and I had decided to give 10% pre-tax. Say, we want to give to you, God, because you gave everything for us. And whatever's left over, we trust you. We trust you for your position. We'll pay our taxes. We do pay our taxes. We're good citizens like that. But sometimes that puts us in a pinch. I don't know if you know this, man. Kids grow fast. 
like weeds. They eat and grow. And sometimes, you know, when a kid walks in and their pants look like this, we're like, well, I'll get you next month. Hand-me-downs are a blessing. Because what's more important is what we do with our money to advance the kingdom, not necessarily uh, to fuel fuel our own comforts in life. And our, our children can feel the pinch too sometimes. So the first thing we take away from verse 11 through 12 is this. We give our first to God and we trust him with the rest. Just like we trust him with all of our salvation. Number two, we got to get back to the gospel. So in that, you're like, oh, he's just trying to, he's just trying to get money. No, look at verse 13. Because 13 goes right back to Jesus. 13, it says, every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you'll not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons shall you shall redeem. Now, this is a really interesting verse. Why does God say, if you have a donkey... The firstborn of your donkey, you either kill it or redeem it. Well, because in the Old Testament, donkeys were unclean. They were an unclean animal. And so God said, well, that animal's still mine, even though it's unclean. So here's your option. If you want to use the donkey, then you have to sacrifice a lamb to make it clean so you can use it. But if you don't sacrifice, if you don't want to redeem the donkey, it's still mine, so you kill it. That was the options. Now, think about that for a brief, a brief moment. What did you just do with your firstborn lamb? You just gave it to God. So what does this mean you have to do again? You've got to take another lamb from your flock in order to redeem the donkey if you want to keep the donkey. He's talking about how the blood spilt redeems something from being unclean to being, re- to being clean. So something to be unusable to being usable. But then notice what he says here at the end of verse 13. Every Firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. Okay, if you have to redeem a donkey because it's unclean, then what is this telling you about your sons and daughters? They are what? Hello? They're unclean. Man, parents, we just had our wonderful parenting workshop last week, and we talked about this ad nauseum because we all get it. Did anybody teach, did you teach your children how to sin? Did you go and be like, hey, little Johnny, I want you to lie to your mommy today, okay? And then what I want you to do, let's just, let's just stir the pot. And then I want you to be as disobedient as you possibly can. I want you to backtalk her. I want you to hit and bite your brothers and sisters. And I want you to steal their toys, okay? Let's see if we can have a good day, all right, honey? Have a good day. Anybody teach your kids to do those things? Nope. If you're, in fact, if you're an honest parent, you're like what? They figured it out on their own. And guess what? They're pretty good at it. Where does it come from? Sin. As Christians, we believe in what we call the doctrine of original sin. That we are, the moment of conception, we are born with a sinful nature. That's why when I hold little babies, I say, Oh, this is the most beautiful little sinner I've ever seen. Because this beautiful little thing is going to turn into a terrible twos and threes and terrible teenager, because that sin is going to be creeping out of them. And our job as Christian parents is to pour the gospel back into them. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, I want you to understand that your children are unclean, that the firstborn is unclean, but I want you to remember how I redeemed you in Exodus 12 is the way that I redeem all people. And I do that by the sacrificing of blood. That every single one of us is unclean. 
But when we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus redeems us. He moves his unclean, removes his, the uncleanliness from us and he covers us in his righteousness, in his cleanliness, in his blood. That's why when God looks at a believer, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of the Savior. Because it is the Savior who redeems you. So we have to make sure we truly understand the gospel because then it only makes sense when we talk about generosity. That's why I think God puts that right back in there again. Let me just remind you of my work. Let me remind you of my grace. Because as I remind you of my work and my grace, then you'll understand what it means to be generous. Lastly, what do we see here? We see that, that generosity is the reflection of our faith. That's what you want to write down. Generosity is a reflection of our faith. Verse 14, and when, time, when in time, your son asks you, what does this mean? You say to him, by a strong hand, here's your faith. This is what you say. I'm going to tell you my faith, son. By a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. He's taking him back to the work of God in their lives. Both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animal. He says, therefore, son, therefore, listen, you ask a great question. What does this mean? Let me tell you what it means. Therefore, son, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males. That first opened the womb. But all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And I do this so that it's a mark on your hand. And frontless between your eyes. For by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. He's saying this. He's saying my generosity. What I do with my firstborn. What I do to redeem my donkey and my son. What I do is a reflection of my faith in what God has done. Are you with me? It's a reflection of my faith. For what God has done. I always wonder this. As I read this text this week. I thought about this. I said if, I, if Katie and I died today. And our children looked at our finances. Like they got to do all the estate stuff. And they looked at our finances. I wonder what they would see. Would they see mommy and daddy's faith? In other words. If they looked at everything that we do. With our finances. Would they see a faith in their mommy and daddy. That would cause them to stay in their hearts. Why do they do this? Why do they give like this? In other words, let me ask it a little bit differently. If my children saw my finances, would it lead them towards faith in Jesus? Now, I've been wrestling with that all week. So let me ask you. Let's let you wrestle with it too. How about you? Is how we give as generous Christians a reflection of our faith in Jesus? Man, the world does not understand why we do what we do as Christians, right? They don't understand why we believe in marriage the way we believe in marriage. They don't understand why we believe in parenting the way we believe in parenting. And they definitely don't understand why we're generous as a response to the gospel. But what should that, that should do is that should stir within them a heart that says this. Why? Pastor Jeremy, why, why are you so generous? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Now, I'm not going to give you the principles of stewardship because what I want to do is I want to take you to the Savior. The reason why I'm generous is because, oh, Jesus has been oh so generous to me. And I respond to his generosity with gratitude and generosity of my own. Because I understand that everything he has, everything that I have is a gift from him. And he requires me to give it back to him as a sign that says, this is my faith and trust in you and what you've done for me. So let me finish with a quick 
helpful thought. I think it's implied in the text, even though it's not actually in the text. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was doing a study with a group on uh, Dave Ramsey's plan, um, which I love Dave Ramsey's stuff. And I was asked the question, they said, Pastor Jeremy, question, where do we give? And I said, ooh, that's a tough question, because I don't want to become legalistic about this. But I think the text lends itself towards something very important. When they get to the promised land, and when we get into the book of Leviticus, where do they take their tithes and offerings? The temple. They take it back to God, and they take it specifically to the temple. If you look at Leviticus 23, after the fruit of the harvest, they say, take your harvest to the priests, to the temple. And I think that today, we could say honestly that where, do we, where is our primary place of our giving? Our primary place of our giving would be the local church that we're a part of. Now, I know what I just did there. You're saying to yourself, mm, Jeremy, just trying to line your pockets. I am not trying to line my pockets. That's not what we have a heart to do. But I think you have to understand the concept of the local church. And this is why we did our Renew series with the new partnership covenant. Because when you partner with Center Church, you are affirming our beliefs, you are affirming our doctrinal stances. You're affirming our mission. And our mission is that we have a mission to invite people to Jesus and live out the gospel. And you're saying, I want to be a part of what God is doing at Center Church Brenham. But also you're saying, I'm also committing. I'm committing to the, to the core value of, of that we cherish the gospel above everything. That I'm submitting to the core value that, that we cultivate biblical community. And by the way, let me just tell you, after this week at the parents' conference, I will tell you that most people come here and love our biblical community. We also coach theological discipleship and we, and we uh, commission every partner. Here's the truth. The church is designed. If you partner with Center Church, our church is designed to equip and disciple you. So we hold you to expectations as partners. But at the same time, you as partners hold expectations to the church that you say, you better disciple me. And then at Center Church, we want to take the gospel to as many people as possible before Jesus comes back or we die. So you're saying, I want to partner with you in the advancement of the gospel. One of the ways that we do that is we do that by giving to the local church. Now, here's the deal. Giving to the local church that you're a part of, that you've committed to, and that you partner with. But here's the deal. Let me just, let me be very clear. Two things. Number one, if you're in here this morning and you have had a bad experience, you're hearing me say this stuff and you're like, man, Jeremy's trying to get my money so that he can get rich. Then, then I want you, I'm telling you as one of the pastors here, don't give here. Don't give. If you have some type of conscientious objection or moral scruple to giving to the local church because you've been burned in the past by, by, by what I'm telling you, do not give to us. But I will ask you this. Take your tithe and your offering and give somewhere else that you do trust, that is advancing the gospel and is doing the work of the Lord. Because I am not concerned with who you're giving to. I'm concerned with how you're giving. I'm more concerned about your heart then where that money goes. And let me tell you something. I'm, I believe this with all my heart as I've been here since March. Like, God doesn't need your money either. God's going to do with Center Church what He wants to do with Center Church. And I'm telling you, I've been here since March, and God is doing some really cool stuff at Center Church. 
Like God is, God is doing some amazing things right here before our very eyes. And it's only a matter of time, brothers and sisters, before God calls us to plant a church and before God starts sending missionaries out. And that's what we want here. It's not about lining our pockets. It's about getting Jesus to as many people as possible before we die or he comes back. And so if you have a moral scruple, don't give. Don't give this inner church, but do give somewhere so you can show that your faith is being represented in your generosity. But I do believe that one of the primary places that we give is to the local church. Because it is the local church that is plan A, not, and there is no plan B. Throughout the apostles and Acts, where did people bring their, their gifts? To the feet of the apostles. They were in the point where they were like, oh my goodness, the apostles brought me this message of the gospel. It has changed my life. It has changed my heart. I can't eat. I'm just so thankful what Jesus has done. And they started bringing their gifts to the apostles. Apostles, they're like, hey, use these finances to get this message to more people. And then we get to the church at Antioch, right? And what happens to the church at Antioch? The church at Antioch sins. I would love to be there that night. Where they're praying and the Spirit says, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas. Because they're going to go be my name to the Gentiles. And so the church is a sending church. The church is where we go and send people in church planning and in missions. And so the, the idea here is, as we, as we see God working in our midst, and as we see God using your tithes and offerings here at Center Church, what our idea is, is we want to be a church that's holding the rope. What I mean by that is what Aiden Iron Judson said. What I mean by that is, as we're sending church plants, as we're sending missionaries, we're holding the rope and we're providing for them financially so that the gospel can continue to go to the ends of the earth. So the question becomes then, if you're partnering with us, will you partner with us not only in your time, not only in your talents, but also in your treasures? Will you join us in this partnership renewal to inviting people to Jesus from all over the world and helping each other live out the gospel right here in our own world? And I mean world, I mean in our own little community. That's what we're about. So how do you respond to a message like this today? Well, there's two ways I want you to respond. The first way is based off of what we have talked about in this generosity series, are you willing to renew your covenant with us? So we have these church membership covenants back here. If you've, if you've already signed a partner covenant, we want you to sign it again. If you've, already, if you've attended a basis class and you're like, Jeremy, I'm ready to commit, then I want you to commit by signing it right now. If you have not attended a basis class, we ask you to hold off. We have another basis class coming up in January. Come to that basis class and then you can partner with us after that. But here's what I want everybody to do. If you're willing to say, today I'm willing to partner with you, Center Church. I'm ready to renew my commitment with you. Then at the end of this service, I'm going to put this table down there. And I want you to make it a sign to Jesus. I want you to come up and I want you to put your partnership on this table. As a way of saying, okay, Lord, here I am. I've committed to this church that you've called me to. I've committed to this church that you are given a vision and are guiding towards planting churches and being on mission for you. And I'm going to give my time, my talents, and my treasures to you and the advancement of your kingdom. That's the first way you respond today. Second way you respond today is I want you to pray with us. I want you to pray with us as a staff. Because I want you to hear where we are as in our finances. What I'm calling you to do is if you are a partner here, I'm calling you to give to Center Church Brenham. Give your tithe to Center Church Brenham. And then consider and pray about maybe in this next couple of months, giving above and beyond your time to Center Church Brenham. And here's why. Number one. 
Um, we're running out of space at Center Church Brenham. Last week, and I know it's a little smaller this week because we have Thanksgiving, but last week we had 16 children in CK3 alone. This room was filled up. There was kids all up and down that hallway. If you didn't, if you didn't have a chance to see our volunteers last week, oh my goodness, their hairs were messy and they were like, I am so glad that's over, but I love Jesus and I love these kids. We launched our first center student soft launch last week. And we're so out of space that we can't do it during the gathering. We have to do it either before or after the gathering. We had eight center students for the first time in our soft launch show up to spend a whole hour with us after service just to, just to ask questions and to be discipled. Another thing is that we're, we're asking God to bring more people in. And you're like, well, that's really selfish. No, 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 no. Let me tell you our vision. Our vision is that God would bring people in so we could send people out. I would love to get to a point for every 30 new partners that come in, 30 partners leave to go plant a church. So we're not trying to just get big to be a mega church. We are legitimately trying to advance the gospel from here to the ends of the earth. But in order to do that, we've got to make space for more disciples. We can't make disciples if we don't have enough space. And so what we do, we, right now we have... Uh, as a church, we have $200,000 set aside for a building. And we're asking God as leaders, and we're asking you to pray with us. We're saying, God, what would you have us do in the future as God can, if you continue to bring people here? Last week, we saw two first-time guests. We saw two second-time guests. And we saw, I think, two kind of repeat guests. That was just last week. God is bringing people here, and He's people bringing people here from all walks of life. And it's exciting because I think they're seeing what God's doing here and they want to be a part of it. And then we're going to send them out. Because that's one of our values. Commission every partner. That's why at the end we always say, you're sent. We want to plant churches with you. We want to send missionaries with you. And so we're asking God to create the space so we can make more disciples who make more disciples who go to the ends of the earth. And so one of the things that we're asking in this prayer time is that our center church partners would not just give a tithe, but they would consider giving a little bit more towards our building fund. Because we don't know what God's going to do in the future. We just want to be ready when he does it. We've talked about possibly buying this building and extending it out to renovate it. We've talked about buying maybe a, a building in, in maybe the center of Brenham or in the downtown Brenham to kind of maybe help us out. God hasn't opened those doors yet. We talked about, well, maybe we can find a cheaper option. We don't know what God's going to do, but we want to be ready for when he does it. And so we're asking people to give. We're asking you to give above and beyond your tithes so that we can be ready when he does. So we want to see our $200,000 building fund move to about $220,000 by the end of the year. But at the same time, we're asking to use a... a we want, we we're trying to find $5,000 more for the budget next year. Because here's what's happening. All right, we, we've been in this building a while and some of the stuff's starting to get outdated. We got carpet that people are walking on. It's either time to get like extremely cleaned or get some new ones. We got TVs back there that are starting to break in our children's wing. And the reason that they're breaking is because we're using them all the time. And, and what's happening is that's the way, one of the ways that we primarily teach and disciple children. So we're asking for money to get new TVs. We want a new TV in the little kids' rooms over here because we want our, our partners that are serving so faithfully each week and so wonderfully, we want them to have, we want to pipe the sermon into them so they can at least listen to it while they're, while they're rocking your sweet babies. And so that way they know whenever Jeremy's getting done being quiet, they're like, okay, let's start getting ready because your parents are coming and it's going to be a great day. We have things that we need to update around here. We have pictures all over our place and they're wonderful, great pictures, but they're kind of outdated. It's time to bring some, we got some new life coming. We got to get Ellie in there too. You know, 
Like, so we, we want to up, do some more updates. We want to see 5,000 that we can use to update what God has given us here so we can continue to be good stewards. And I want you to know that all this is not about fueling our pockets. It's about advancing the gospel. And so we're asking, would you partner with us on that? So at the end, what I'm going to ask you to do is have an opportunity to give. And here's our three ways that we can give here at Center Church. Number one, you can give on the church website, centerchurchbrandon.org. Click on the giving tab. You can use the QR code right now with your phone. And let me just highly recommend, if you, if you plan to give today, if the Lord is leading you towards being generous to Center Church, I would ask that you, you do this with your children. Let them hit that send button. Man, we used to do that with ours. We're like, hey, we, we're going to give this tithe here. You hit the send button. We want you to see us. We want you to see our faith on display in the way that we give. Or maybe, God, you can just pray over whatever you plan to give and you can give in the box outside. But here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to feel manipulated to give. I'm going to give you two minutes to pray right now and say, God, how would you want me to respond to the gospel and be generous in this moment? And again, if you have a moral scruple, don't give to us. But give somewhere else to a church or an organization that's advancing the gospel and is doing what God has called it to do. So here's your two ways to respond today. Number one, here's your table. Feel free to come up here. Put your partnership on it. Say, I'm ready to renew and commit my partnership with you. Here's what we expect from you. Here's what I expect from the church. And here's how I'm partnering with you to go take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then when you lay your uh, partnership form up here, then Kyle's going to come up and he's going to pass communion to you. And I want you to go sit down and think and prepare as we prepare to take communion together as a faith family. But then also as you're sitting there, pray about how God would call you to give today. Ask God, how can I, how can I display my heart of gratitude for the generosity that you have given me in Jesus. And then pray over that. And say here Lord take this. Use it however you see fit. To advance your kingdom and glorify your great name. So I'm going to pray. Ronnie you can leave that up there. And then you respond today. As the Lord leads. Father we thank you for. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord I'm thankful that we can't get to Exodus 13. Without first moving through Exodus 12. Lord, I'm thankful that the gospel points us towards generosity. That, that is, yes, what we talked about putting some wheels on the, on the generosity cart today. Father, that this is not a means for manipulation. This is a means for, them, for us to, to respond to the gospel with all of our fiber, with all of our heart. To be reminded that Jesus is generous. And that we want to respond by also reflecting that generosity. That our generosity is a reflection of our faith. And we want to give you our first and our best. And we want to trust you with the provision for the rest. Father, as we close today, I want us to be reminded of that hymn that we all used to sing growing up. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But he washed it white as snow. And so, Father, in response to that gospel, help us to be people who are generous. Help us to be people who give. And give to your institution, your church, that's designed to be plan A, to plant churches and reach others for Jesus. Father, we pray, we pray now, Lord, that you would help us as leaders and as we seek counsel from our partners. Lord, what would you have us do in the future? Lord, we need, we need things here to continue to make disciples, but Father, we trust in your provision. And we ask that you would use these resources, not just treasures, but also the resources of the people and disciples here today to glorify your name 
and advance your kingdom. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.